0: This podcast is produced by Unedited. You are not your disordered eating, or you are not a depressed person. You are not an anorexic. You are not a bulimic. You are not put into this one little category, or you are not an emotional eater. You are you. Mm -hmm. Like you said, these things don't have to define you. I think once you do that, it becomes a very dangerous spiral where you live up to a label or live down to it, if that makes sense.
1: That's Rhiannon and Lambert and this is episode 192 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. I'm a coach and this podcast is all about self-development and helping you find more clarity and happiness in life. And each week on this podcast, we hear the stories and tips from some of the most inspirational people in the world, learning how to take the small steps every day to improve your mental, emotional, physical and spiritual health. But before we jump into this week's episode, I just want to let you know that the very last few copies of the first print run of my book, The Search for Clarity, are nearly all sold out. And this book shares my experiences and biggest learnings from my personal development journey and tips on how you can create a better life for yourself. As there's only a few copies left, I'm offering an exclusive 20% off to the listeners of this very podcast. All you have to do is use the code PODCAST20. And for more information on the book and to grab yourself a copy, simply head to thedreamersdiseasecouk forward slash clarity or click the link in the description of this episode. So on this week's episode I am joined by Rhiannon Lambert who is one of the UK's leading registered nutritionists. She's the founder of Retrition, she's the host of the Food for Thought podcast and a best-selling author and I'm really excited to bring you this conversation because I always find that our relationship with food is so important and a lot more important than what we think especially when it comes to our mental well-being and Rhiannon is such a brilliant person at explaining and articulating all of this so this conversation is just full of gems during the chat we spoke about loads of stuff including how the food you eat affects your mood not living up to labels and we break down a few myths around food such as are carbs really as bad for you as we're led to believe so the aim of this podcast is to inspire So if you like what you hear in this episode then be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Rhiannon. So hello and welcome, Rhiannon. How are you?
0: Good morning. I am very, very well. Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm very well. I appreciate your time today and joining me on this conversation because I know you're a super busy woman. You've got a young child and obviously you've got a whole business to run. So I really appreciate the time.
0: Absolute pleasure. Excited.
1: Yeah, me too. And I've kind of had one of those weeks where things have been very up and down and I kind of feel like that's a theme within lockdown and this whole kind of pandemicy world that we're living in. So how have you kind of found dealing with that and the ups and downs and having a newborn child and, you know, keeping business running and everything like that?
0: I guess on a, yeah, personally for me, it's the same as everybody else. It's up and down. Half the time I spend myself, um, I find myself feeling grateful just thinking, wow, you know, at least I have my health. I have my business, And then I feel like I don't have the right to complain, but actually we have to acknowledge the fact that this is strange for everybody. And I have lots of personal things going on, you know, that at the moment, which I'm sure everybody does um, financially and um, business related to health related with other people that, you know, it's impacted everybody. So for me, especially with a new baby, that's been the hardest thing i think at the beginning not having anybody be able to see my child mm. help me out i was completely alone with my husband for the first few months and that was tough
1: how how have you dealt with those those days or even sometimes weeks where it has felt more of a struggle than others
0: yeah i think um for me at the moment obviously sleep comes into it with, mm. with a new baby so when you're sleep deprived everything seems 10 times worse yeah. and a phrase that's kind of stuck with me from a friend who's also a lactation consultant she said never give up on a bad day and Mm -hmm. I think you can apply that to everything in life so whenever you're feeling a bit low just think well this is a bad day and that's okay I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm probably going to have or feel ever so slightly different potentially and that's always good you may get more sleep and that always makes you feel better so Mm -hmm. for me it's also diarizing things I think um on my podcast, Food for Thought, I spoke to somebody that specialised in stress, Dr. David Hamilton, this week. And he said, put something in your diary that says time for self. Mm. I don't do that. And now I'm going to. Because for some reason, my time for self at the moment, I have this time now, this um, time from when my son goes off with someone and I get one time. I either do work, do the cleaning, yeah. have some me time, wash my face, put, yeah. I don't know, do something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, diarising time to just be me, I hadn't thought about in all honesty and I need to practice what
1: I preach. Yeah. I love that. And it's, it's really interesting because I had a conversation with a coaching client this week um, and he's very, very like on it, very business focused because he's trying to launch something and we were chatting and I just said to him like, out of interest, like, what do you, what do you do for fun? Like how, where do you schedule your fun in, in? Cause it seems like you're very focused on work and then you have your time with your girlfriend. Like, what do you do for fun? And he sort of, it sort of stumped him a bit. Cause he was a bit like, Oh, I don't. Know. I don't. I haven't really, haven't really had a break since I went away, you know, whenever it was two months ago. And I, I said to him, "You should consider it," because something that I noticed with myself recently is that I, I was lacking that time for self slash fun mm-hmm. in my life. And I started to go skateboarding again, which is something that I picked up on last year. But I've started to try and really put that time in each week now for the for the coming weeks. Like, okay, Monday morning, I'm going to write off of work, and I'm just going to go to the park skateboarding for two hours because that's like my me fun time sometimes it can be painful as well but it is fun (laughs) and and I think it's just a brilliant a brilliant thing to keep in your mind is like on those days where it's like you're having a bad day although it's totally fine to have a bad day also think about where are you balancing that with the fun time slash the me
0: time yeah and getting outside I think Mm. I I felt very I mean like everybody else all I've seen is my my house that's it In a year. And normally I I live a very privileged lifestyle where I can go on holiday once or twice a year. And I haven't done that for the Mm. first time in a long time. And because that's relative to me at the moment, I'm very aware. This is why I say I struggle with the gratitude and feeling so lucky in my personal life and my situation. But it also does affect me. And that's okay to admit too. but I'm a bit sick of my home, even though I I know I have a nice home. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that's okay. Um, But things could be worse. I'm constantly battling this
1: yeah yeah but I yeah and I think a lot of it is is it comes down to understanding that it's all fine like it's it's Mm. fine to be sick of your home because you've spent most days there. it's fine to you know some days wake up and and the most you want to achieve is getting in the shower and getting back out again like it's totally fine like we're living in such a strange time that like even the smallest achievement in a day is can be seen as a big win. and I think it's really important that to, to see that like for you it might be your your morning with your son could just be like that could be your big achievement of the day and yeah. that, that's fine like work might just sort of glide by that day but that's fine because it's it's where we're at and I think a really important learning I've made through this period is just be where you are like be where you are and who you're with and where you are in your journey and be as, as grateful and appreciative as you can within that space
0: Joe, I've never appreciated a smile so much because I think when I've got my, my boy Zachary, we're in the pram and we're going out to the supermarket, everybody's wearing masks. So he's looking around, desperately looking for facial interaction. Mm. It kind of breaks my heart a little bit because he's not getting it back. So when we're outside and someone doesn't have a mask on and maybe they look at us or they smile, I took that for granted before. And now I'm really starting to appreciate the very small things, which is, like you said, a smile, a bit of new time just getting out.
1: Yeah, of course. And I think it's it's that's for me, that's one of the most important things is although I know we've got a lot of rain this week, seems like it's been nonstop rain for the past two weeks, but getting outdoors and even just for a short walk can can really boost your mood, can't it? And, Mm. you know, one of the things I also find, you know, is very important, which is kind of why I wanted to have you on the podcast is is the, the impact that food has, particularly when it comes to like our mood and our daily lives. So from a kind of your professional expertise and experience, how relative is like the food that you consume to your mood? Like what's the correlation between the two?
0: So I think it's really important that we say that food and mood are correlated. Of course they are, but it is quite important that we recognize that food can be such a comfort for people at the moment. It's something that we all lean on sometimes and that's okay it's all people have but it has resulted i mean we've seen in the nutrition clinic we've seen a complete rise in disordered eating at the moment Mm. um all all types of spectrum from under eating overeating emotional eating comfort stress eating so we do need to get it right and we do need to be mindful that it's not going to serve a purpose long-term. It might be a short-term coping strategy, but it's not going to help you. And it can turn into a form of self-punishment very, very quickly. So to give you a bit of a science background on food and mood, mm-hmm. we'll go in there. Yeah, um, I love that. <laughs> here we go, let me try and think how to break this down. So everything you eat, obviously goes into your digestive system. So it goes into your stomach, will get broken down, goes into the bloodstream. You've got your small intestine, your large intestine. The small one is very long and that's where all the nutrients are absorbed. And then the large intestine is the next bit. And at the bottom of that large intestine towards the colon and the other end, that's where all our bacteria kind of live. A lot of it. I mean, two kilograms of what you weigh is actually bacteria. Yeah, and that sounds freaky, right? But it's pretty cool. I mean, there's a lot of living stuff going on there that we're still researching that we don't know lots about. But what we do know is that what you put in can have a different reaction with that bacteria. It's almost like a garden. We call it planting the seeds or flowers in a garden. So what you eat can either plant more flowers or it can plant more weeds. Um, The types of food that you want to be eating to enhance your mood, because that living bacteria then sends a signal up to your brain. So loads of people think it's your head, your willpower that can tell you if you're hungry or if you're full. It's not, it's your, your bacteria inside you sending the signal up to your brain and saying, Hey, I'm a bit hungry here, or hmm. I'm going to create more happy hormone because I'm getting enough carbs and protein and my serotonin, which is my happy hormone, is going to be fulfilled. So 70 to 90% of that happy hormone is made in your, in your gut. Oh,
1: wow.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot going on down there that I think we don't know enough about. And then that also links on to sleep because serotonin, that happy hormone, that converts to melatonin, which I'm sure loads of people have heard about. And mm-hmm. that helps your circadian rhythms and your sleep cycles. So what you eat is not only going to affect how happy you feel, it's going to then impact how you sleep. And then we have this knock-on cycle every single day. So a lot of people, I think the classic example with food and mood is if you've ever tried, and I'm sure lots of people have, restricting a whole food group like carbohydrates, how low and moody you can feel after a while. Um, Well, it can go both ways. Some people may get this instant kind of euphoric feeling because of energy restriction and actually We've seen studies that in anorexics, so people that choose not to eat, well, it's not really a choice to be honest, it's a mental health illness, Mm. but people that restrict their food intake, they can feel euphoria and it's a protective mechanism to protect you from the restriction and the malnutrition your body's going under. And that can be mimicked a bit when people go on these crash diets and they think it's amazing, but actually it's your body telling you you need help, but you feel Mm. amazing. It's such a confusing thing for people. So, that's often very confused with food and mood. When people go on these crazy diets, it's got nothing to do with it at all. What you genuinely need are the carbohydrates to transport that hormone and that amino acid. So in protein, so things like fish, meat, beans, pulses, tofu, all that kind of stuff, you have amino acids. They're the building blocks that make a shape. And we're made of these everywhere. And a one particular amino acid called tryptophan, that converts into serotonin. But in order to help tryptophan get through your brain, it needs carbohydrate yeah. to transfer, because your brain loves carbs. So without it, you're not gonna have that extra 20, 10% being made, if you see what I mean. Have I yeah. explained that in a yeah, of crazy Yeah, I think way? F-
1: what I'm kind of getting from it is, <laughs> is that, obviously what you, what you eat, there's a clear, from my understanding anyway, chemical reaction that happens inside you with the bacteria that sends signals to your brain, which will, you know, have a play on your mood one way or the other. And if you're missing or being deficient in eating certain types of food like carbs, mm-hmm. which we know is a, a quite a big thing, um, then you're you're lowering that. Is that is that right? You're lowering that yeah. that that chemical. I can't remember the name of the chemicals. I was never it's great. Fine. As-
0: don't don't <laughs> you worry. I don't think anybody needs to know the names yeah, of the exactly. chemicals.
1: Exactly. But it, think- it's
0: more of a um Yeah, it's a process. You can optimize that process of being happy. Obviously, it's not the only factor. Look at it like a pie, a pie chart. Some, like 20% of it may be from sleep. The other 20 may be your relationships. Mm -hmm. And then there's food and then there's sleep and all that kind of stuff. So if you eat well, you are more likely to be able to help yourself with your mood, your concentration, how you perform every single day. What you put in will help you with what you get out.
1: Mm. And does, does that have an effect on like mental well-being and mental health in general as well?
0: Yeah, I think it really, really does. Um, also, there's one other little building block, a little amino acid called tyrosine, which links to dopamine. Now, loads of people mm. hear about dopamine. It's like the feel goods. So you've got the happy hormone, serotonin, and you've got the feel good hormone and that's your dopamine. Again, food plays a role in the production of this. And it's really important to note it's not the only thing, but it does play a role. So why not do what you can to feel good and enhance every other aspect that's going wrong right now? And that doesn't mean you have to give up cakes and sweets and chocolate. You can still eat that stuff. It's the ratio. It's it's getting everything in the boring, sexy old saying moderation that counts. Yeah,
1: of course. And it's as with anything in life, right? Balance is key. And, you know, we hear a lot about balanced diets, but balance across life, balance with your sleep, like you said, sleep, relationships, um, you know, your physical health, your, your food, it all, did I say sleep? I said sleep, it all (laughs) plays such a big role. And it's like, you know, making sure that all of these things are kind of constantly in check. Right. And I find that the, the relationships with food that we have can, can be funny as well, because I was having a conversation with someone, um, not too long ago, a friend of mine. and, And she mentioned that she was talking to someone about working out and and she doesn't really work out a lot. And, and she'd been working out like a couple of times. And one of her friends said to her, Oh, well, you know, after you work out make sure that you eat, you know, X, Y, and Z because it will help fuel the body and kind of explain the whole process of protein and, you know, feeding your muscles and, you know, all that sort of stuff that we kind of understand. But my friend hadn't had the connection in her head that food is fuel. She'd only seen food as like just, this either displeasurable thing or pleasurable thing that you consume as you hadn't made the connection that actually the food that you eat fuels your body in certain types of ways
0: no it is and that's um something I spoke about in my TEDx talk it's it's how you see the world and I think it comes from childhood I call it a food script or a food world because of our upbringing it's the nature nurture debate as well of course but because of how we are born and the environment we're born into are you born in a city are you born in the countryside are you born near local shops with access to x y and z so all of that shapes how you see food and how you have a relationship Mm. with food let's say your parents were always talking about being on a diet when you were growing up you may see food as a bad thing because you may think oh, you know, I'm not allowed to eat food or I'm not allowed or it's not okay to enjoy myself because this equates to something that inside I equate to feeling miserable. Mm. Whereas a family, you may grow up, I'm going to use the example of um, the Mediterranean diet. So we've got thousands of research papers on, the Mediterranean diet and these wonderful villages in Italy where it's such a social thing you get together there's tons of people around the table you're sharing you're enjoying it food is such a positive amazing experience that the thought of not liking it which is just not heard of mm. it it's incredible what culture ethnicity background shapes your food world and then your journey is the food script the play that you commence
1: yeah and I can definitely verify that my family's Italian and it's definitely a big part of the Italian culture for oh. sure 100% <laughs> I, can, I can verify that for sure um, but one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in particularly with your own journey is I know that you kind of had a, a weird sort of career path into becoming like this nutritionist that you've you know and this very um, active person who's sort of spreading the messages around nutrition because so I know that you start sort of started off in a music career but you had a bit of a funny relationship yourself with food within that period didn't you so would you mind sort of just giving us a bit of a background as to what that was and and why it kind of caused you to go down this path you're now on
0: oh 100 i am i'm so happy to always share this story because you know it shaped who i am today and in a way in a twisted way saved me Mm. (laughs) So the music industry, I was um, very young. I was about 17 when I was signed to a label. I won Classic FM Singer of the Year. I came from a a town with no parents of a musical background, nothing. So it was very unheard of. I'm the odd one in the family. No one else can sing. It's very weird. (laughs) But I got very lucky and I entered a competition online and my life changed overnight. I was whisked up to London. I had to find my way just hand out CVs to make a living on Oxford Street and get a job. You don't do that anymore, but that's what used to happen back in the day before social media. And I guess I was exposed to fatty diets so young at that point. I hadn't really thought about food. I loved food. I was a Mm -hmm. big foodie. And I I guess I had a lot of puppy fat, but in the music industry, there's this pressure. If you're going to sell records or you're going to make an album, you're going to do something image and music videos, Mm -hmm. especially back then. It was all about aesthetics, just as much as the talent that you had. And you would have these health checks um, every month and things, uh, lots of talk about the number on the scales and staying in shape and not wanting to put on weight for certain outfits that you had to wear. It was quite toxic. And there was one moment for me where everything changed. At this point, I'd already gone to the GP suffering because I was malnourished. He put me on antidepressants as a solution, didn't even discuss my diet. That's how I think times have come on a bit. I think mm-hmm. a, a doctor now would be more aware that diet and how you could be underweight or not eating enough. You know, no one had a clue with me. They just said, off you go. You know, you probably just need to get a bit happy and then you'll eat more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was singing at a fashion week show I can't, in London, in the Marlebone area. I can't remember where I was, such a long time ago now, but I remember seeing a model backstage. So I would be stood on the side of the catwalk, just doing these kind of ethereal high soprano R's. <laughs> um, like you do and the models go down, they strut yeah. the stuff. I felt obviously very self-conscious to begin with because I'm not a model. And these girls were chewing on cotton wool backstage. Wow. And I remember seeing that and one girl was like, oh, do you want some? I was like, no, what? why? And she goes, oh, it really keep you full. And for me, I just thought, this is not right. And I started looking into it. And I think that really made me think, I'm not happy. I don't want to do this anymore. The singing that I loved, and I really love, I still do, I still do sing professionally on the side a little bit, but oh, wow. it doesn't make me happy. It, was, mm. it had got toxic. So I enrolled at a course at university to study nutrition back when there were only about five of them in the UK. And now they're at every single university. It's like this huge huge thing but that single-handedly changed my life it could have gone either way I think but for me it really taught me that I don't have to go on these fatty diets Mm. and I don't have to look a certain way and I'm actually really healthy and I I got out of the music industry I guess that's helped me be more understanding to others as well because I know how easy it can be to fall into traps and I had a lot going on I I wasn't in a very good relationship very toxic one at the time I'd moved from a small town to the big city I lived in Camden I mean you can't get much more (laughs) these were the Amy Winehouse days yeah (laughs) Yeah. I was there with Amy Winehouse you know in the same kind of area at the time and it was completely different so I guess in a nutshell that's how I found my way into doing what I do now
1: yeah and I, I think that the beauty in that story is is a that you've obviously gone on this amazing journey to now help others where you felt like you were struggling personally but also in that where you were at the time hasn't necessarily defined you in terms of like where you ended up, but it's been a part of your story that's helped you get to this place that you're at now. And I think sometimes when we're in those those moments, and you know, I've I've had my times in my life where I've you know suffered quite heavily with depression and anxiety, and it's like, but they have become a part of my story. They didn't, they don't, def- they don't need to define me in terms of yes. like that's who I am and that's what I'll always be. Yes, I may have episodes every now and then but ultimately they're part of my story and they 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 have made me the person I am today and I think sometimes we 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 struggle to get beyond that part when we're in it but I think if you can understand that and and have the the faith that if you're willing to do something different or look for a slight change it doesn't have to be a massive career path change like you but something slight it can really set those wheels in motion you know
0: oh yeah labels I think labeling is dangerous and that's something we make a big Um, point of in the nutrition clinic and the work we do with building healthy relationships with food is you are not your disordered eating or you are not a depressed person you are not an anorexic you are not a bulimic you are not put into this one little category or you are not an emotional eater you are you. Mm-hmm. It, it, like you said, these things don't have to define you. I think once you do that, it becomes a very dangerous spiral where you live up to a label or live down to it, if that makes sense. Um, and in society, in the press and the media, we seem to love labeling and you know, language. Language has come on a little bit, I feel, but it still has a long way to go in the way we speak about things.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of the problem with labels is that we use them to kind of conceptualize something with our own ideas on what that label means. But ultimately, like, no label ever defines who you are. Like, you are who you are, and that that can't be changed. Like, and the more willing you are to accept that, the easier it becomes to step away from this label that either you or other people have put on you.
0: Yeah, and having a good social support system. So one thing I should add to my story is that I didn't have that at the time, which is why I think I spiraled completely. And I ended up on the antidepressants. I was in a very toxic relationship at the time. And if you have somebody, if anyone's listening that you can trust, a best friend Mm. or someone, a partner, a parent, anyone, anyone that you feel you can talk to, please do. Because the minute you talk about it, you reduce how big a problem it can be in yes. your head by a tiny fraction. We internalize things. We all have an inner critic and we speak to it. I'd say nearly every single minute of every single day. And we don't realize it. It's only when you remove it from your head and you say, mm-hmm. is it a feeling right now? Or is it a fact? That's when you can make headway on it. So speak to people because I think that's what can make a difference sometimes.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, and I love that. And I think there's there's such huge kind of sentiment in it because It doesn't also have to be you giving like a a huge monologue about your whole life and how you feel. It could be something as simple as speaking to this, this one person that you trust or that your friends or your family and just saying, I don't feel like me or I feel like I'm struggling. And that is enough to, again, set wheels in motion. And again, that's that's very much related to my journey. Like when I sort of had my breakdown, the only words I could say to my girlfriend at the time was I don't feel like me. And that was enough. To set me off in on a on a different path because I was no longer internalizing it, like you said. It was mm. now something that I had admitted to to myself, but also to someone else. And the wheels was was slowly in motion to start figuring out, okay, what can I do? What can be done? Who should I speak to? Should I seek professional help? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it really does like just one small phrase, one small comment to someone in seeking for help can really be powerful.
0: Because you never know what's going mm. on behind the scenes. Do not judge a book by its cover. And I think the phrase, be kind, should be something yeah. that I wish. I mean, I'm, I have an online platform and it's just so hard. I, I think I wish everybody would just be a bit kinder because you do not know. Someone may look like they've got it all together on the surface. And like you said, you didn't speak to anybody before. I'm sure everyone just thought mm. you had it all together. Yeah, exactly. But actually, everybody's got stuff going on.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And one one of the things that you you mentioned earlier was this kind of idea we have with the number on the scale, and and that that equaling happiness to us. So, what, what do you think that is a is a a way for us to start shifting that narrative? I mean, and don't get me wrong, but it's particularly young women as well, or women in general. You know, some some guys it's a, it's it's a it's a lot rarer within guys, but for for women. But as just as a whole, what is something that can help with that shifting this idea that the number on the scale equals happiness because you're you're putting how you you look or you feel or your weight equaling yeah. your own personal happiness
0: I'm so glad we're touching on this and I will just put a little note out there that we know that of course men are affected too so if 100%. you're a man and you are listening please don't feel like you're alone because actually I think it's women that come forwards mm. and men that don't so we don't have accurate statistics or stats on that at the moment and we think that I think it's like one in every three cases now a male of disordered mm. eating wow. so it's, it's definitely gone up but the problem we have is that Numbers were around for such a long time in society and magazines. Celebrities would have, you'd have a whole row of celebrities, especially females, like we say, and it would say Angelina Jolie weighs X amount of stone compared to Kate Moss, who weighs this much. And it was plastered there. So, of course, people then think, oh, well, they're in the limelight. They're doing well. Perhaps this is a number that will make me happy, and then I will look like that. So you've got several things going on. Also, it becomes a bit of a thing you can control and you can... Keep an eye on yourself. So you have the power to control it. Therefore it becomes a kind of coping mechanism. So every day, if this is with somebody that has an extremely poor relationship with the scale, you could step on it one morning and be two pounds over. Mm. And that could change the entire day for you, your mood, how much you eat, it would affect your behavior change that day. So the problem with the scales, first of all, like I said, two kilos of what you weigh is bacteria. And then on top of that, you fluctuate two kilograms every day anyway, or more. It can be three for women on their menstrual cycles. So you've got water retention, fluids, hormonal fluctuations, lack of sleep. Perhaps you ate a carbohydrate based meal. Therefore you're retaining more water the next day and you haven't broken it down yet. It doesn't mean you put on any body fat. Mm. So it's not an accurate measure of fat in the first place. So, Why does this number have such an impact on people? It's not a good measure. And I think the key is education and challenging yourself. If anyone has a toxic relationship with it, I've had clients that have jumped on maybe 10 to 12 times a day. Sometimes first of all, it's getting the psychological support you need that. And that's a bit much for me to go into now, of course, Mm -hmm, on this podcast, but try and put some interventions in. So every time you feel the urge, to jump on the scale, you have to question that inner voice. Even if you speak out loud, you go into a different room that is not associated with food or weighing yourself. Maybe that's the garage for some people. And I know it sounds weird, but I've had clients yeah. go in the garage, <laughs> take a big breath and breathe and to say, what am I feeling right now? Why do I feel like this? Is it a fact? Why do I want to do this? What will I gain? And sometimes even that minute, two minute, three minute delay can be enough to stop. Ultimately, then, if you step on it and you feel bad, you need to turn it around. So, what do people do in that situation? We again say move the scales into a different room. They don't belong in the house. Maybe put them away in a cupboard or give them to a friend. So many, I've I've stored so many clients' scales <laughs> in my clinic. <laughs> I have a whole cupboard full of scales, and you know what? They never ask for them back once yeah. they're gone. And. Um, if you feel at home that you have a disordered relationship with the scale, please know that it's not accurate by any means. And that the minute you start these little interventions, you might not miss it. And you're so much more than a number. Mm. Why should a number dictate health? It doesn't. Are you, do you have a lot of energy? Do you support your friends? Are you kind? Are you caring? Can you walk fast? Can you jump on the spot? Um, if someone's screaming down the road and they need help, you'd be able to get to them, right? Therefore you are healthy and that's okay there's so much more
1: exactly exactly and this and I think what you said there that a number shouldn't dictate your health shouldn't dictate your happiness either you know it's 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 a number it's a it's a thing it's it's nothing that again doesn't define you it doesn't mean you should be unhappy or it's it's just a thing and your happiness is 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 you know put into other things that it comes from you but you put it into other things and you can't let one little thing like that, just affect it in such a big way.
0: Oh, um, it's self-exploration. Yeah. But I think a lot of people or a lot of us, we're not taught how to find out what makes us happy. It's a very interesting journey. I think a lot of people go upon. It's something I write about in my book, Renourish. It's how do you feel about yourself and your body? Um, I actually have a little test in the book with um, how to measure your body image. Do you have a positive one or not? And mm-hmm. then then you're aware of it. So it, it's, it's tough. I actually, my uni dissertation a very long time ago was on does diet impact self esteem. Oh wow! So yeah. yeah, I loved it even back then. Um, I was having, I think, because what I'd been through myself, it it does. So it's it's a long journey. It's not going to happen overnight to anyone listening, but it can be changed. It can be a positive outcome.
1: Exactly. And, and uh, on that note, some of the things that I think need to change is is, is a few of our ideas we have around food myths. Um, so if it's all right right view, there's a couple of myths that I kind of want to,
0: um,
1: debunk or whatever, you know, Great. To, to talk about to see kind of from, from a professional experience, like what the actual truth is. And, and the first one I think is one that we've already mentioned is this idea that carbs are bad. Um, so what's the kind of ruling on that?
0: Okay, now there's a difference, first of all, between types of carbohydrates and no carb is bad. They all have a place. For instance, I'm weaning my child at the moment and he can't have brown rice because it's too much fiber for a little body. And white rice will give him lots of energy and it's easy to digest. So every single type of food has a place. But we do know that for adults, we want to eat more of the whole grains and the brown stuff cause it's good for that gut bacteria we spoke about earlier and we're not getting enough fiber in the UK. We're getting around 17 to 18 grams on average. You need 30 grams a day. Mm. So try and make those switches. Instead of seeing carbs as bad, have the white ones a little bit less and the brown ones a little bit more. Carbs contain glucose, which is a form of energy. And it's the only form of energy your body likes in terms of your brain. Your brain needs so much energy every single day to perform optimally. And that comes from carbohydrates. You can't absorb the happy hormone as well without it. You can't transport things around the body. It also helps store something called glycogen, which is the muscle fuel around the muscles. So imagine an invisible layer of energy around your body. That's glycogen to every one molecule of carb you attract three or four of water. Mm-hmm. So that's why people may feel a bit heavier when they eat carbs, because you need to drink so much water, but we all need to drink more water anyway, and we need that energy. So carbs do not make you fat. Carbs are not the enemy. They are not a problem. It's quantity and quality. So, Try and think of the two Qs and then you're on your way.
1: Yeah. And um, which kind of leads me on to the next one, because we get a lot of, ideas from like diet fads and you know there's always like the the new trendy diet that everyone's trying and you know the there was famously the Atkins which was like no carbs mm. there's things like five two and then there's like intermittent fasting and keto diets what what's the kind of I mean and don't get me wrong I'm sure all of them have benefits so what's the kind of benefits of you know sticking to something like that for a period of time to perhaps not
0: Right. So these diets will emerge because there's always something to sell. And there's always a scientist that's interested in the effect of the diet on the body. You are, and this is my favorite saying, as unique as your personality. Mm -hmm. So why should this one diet that's been invented work for everybody? That's really important to take a note. Just because scientist Tim over in Canada says... Intermittent fasting is the way forward for everybody. How on earth can that possibly be true? Um, of course, there will be recorded pros because there are for and against for every single study in the world, every single one. You, you will find something for it. If you look hard enough that's what pharmaceutical companies are so good at you know if they want to sell something they'll find a reason to say it's positive and um, but there are also negatives that are not discussed and um, i have gone into depth on intermittent fasting on a on a podcast on food for thought if anyone wants to listen to that where i interviewed a researcher from king's college london who um actually spends her whole life devoted to studying it at the moment we only have proof it works on rodents so animal studies there's a lot of myths around how it affects the gut. And at the moment, if you, you f- if you thrive off not having a meal a day and that works for you and you're able to get all the nutrition you need into, great. But no, it may not be good for life. Just know that everybody's changing all the time. So you deserve unique nutrition.
1: Yeah. So, so, and how do you then figure that out for yourself? Like, you know, you mentioned that everyone's unique and, and you know, like for me, for example, that I know intermittent fasting, fasting wouldn't work for me because I like to work out in the morning. So if I'm going a period of time fasting, you know, I'm working out in that period of time, it's, it's just simply not going to work because my body's going to, I can feel like the hunger cravings because I clearly I've just used up a lot of energy that I need to then replenish. So how do you go about finding that, that, that unique and balanced kind of diet for yourself?
0: It's a bit of trial and error. And I would say it's also linked to your mood and it's linked to how you feel. Um, So I would suggest keeping a food diary for some people if it's not triggering. This could just be a little rough note on on your phone in your note section or a, a notepad at home. And just identifying how you feel every day and how it's affecting you, how you're sleeping, how your digestion is, and just keeping a note on it. Always see if you have the option, please do see a registered nutritionist or registered dietitian to go through it. But really, it's trial and error. And that's the beauty of it is that it should be fun. It should be exploring new foods in the kitchen and seeing how you feel afterwards. But ultimately, aiming for a balanced plate at every meal is going to work for a lot of the population. So having, um, I always say, like a hand sized portion of carbohydrates, um, a flat palm of protein, two palms of veg and a thumb sized portion of fat. So that means like olive oil or something drizzled across your plate. I think that's the way to kind of address your meals every day. And if you're very active, you'll need a bit more one day. Mm -hmm. And the next day you may not, if you're not as active, it's all very unique.
1: Awesome. And then one other thing that I wanted to discuss was sugars, because, um, you know, again, we, we have this thing in our mind that sugar is bad for us. And Mm -hmm. I saw, I actually saw a video, um, which I, I can send to you after if you if you want to see the full video, which um, was was a, a guy on a podcast in America. You may well have seen it actually it, him discussing uh, the idea that grapes are worse for you than sweets or cakes because of the the sugar content in them. So, what role does sugar play? And as a kind of follow up question. Is there a difference between sugars because obviously you have like a natural sugar, which is a sugar in a fruit, which is grown on a tree or, you know, however it's grown versus a sugar that goes into a cake, which is more kind of processed, I guess.
0: So I can debunk this straight away with the, the difference is There are many types of sugars. So in dairy products, you'll find lactose. In fruit, you'll find fructose. In refined sugar on the, sh- the table, the white stuff, that's sucrose. And in carbs, it's glucose. Sugar equals energy. So first remember, sugar equals energy. Now, in the UK, we define it as free sugars um, or intrinsic sugars. So sugars that are found naturally in things like grapes, that's not a free sugar. It would only be free if you blend it in a smoothie and they all become free to explore. But Mm -hmm. the fiber in the grape means it's released a bit more slowly into the bloodstream. Now, I think the reason grapes are a little bit demonized is because they release a lot quicker than a different type of fruit. Um, For instance, a banana or a fruit that's a bit more difficult to break down in the body may take a bit longer than the sugar from a grape. Now, you can't call white sugar and fruit, the same thing, because fruit contains nutrition, it contains fiber, it contains vitamins and minerals. However, you can still have too much of it. Now, I think what this scientist in America is saying is that fructose is digested and broken down in the liver. So whereas other sugars go around the bloodstream and the body and they're used up for energy like carbohydrates and things, fructose from fruit has to go to the liver. So if you have an excessive amount in one go, very, very quickly, you can get some fatty deposits around the liver. Now I'm talking extremes. You would have to eat so much fruit or so much sugar for that to happen. And the problem with the white sugar that we have too much of, like cakes and chocolate and all the yummy, delicious things that we all love, that contains 50% glucose and 50% fructose. Mm -hmm. So when you eat it, Your body's very good at dealing with that glucose, but not so good at dealing with the fructose. So if you have too much, you end up with a bit of a fructose leftover dump at the bottom. So again, it just boils down to the fact that we need you to eat your fruit. It's not bad for you. And it's not the same as sweets, but it does still contain a bit of sugar but it's not going to be harmful for your body if you have the right portions. Mm. And But if you drink fruit juice, which is where all this research came from in the first place, yeah. that's a free sugar because you're extracting it. You're not eating it. I mean, could you eat seven oranges in a go? Probably <laughs> no, Well, you might. I don't know. What <laughs> um, <lot> of it. <laughs> I'd hope, yeah, I'd hope not. <laughs> but um, that's what it takes to get a portion of fruit juice. And a portion of fruit juice is 150 mils which i'm showing on the screen but i know our listeners won't see but it's tiny compared yeah. to the most bottles you buy on the go at 330 mil which yeah. is already double your portion you're recommended a day of fruit juice
1: exactly and it's yeah. like the way i guess a good way to visualize it if you've ever squeezed the fruit sorry the juice out of an orange yeah how little comes out of one orange versus how much is in a glass of orange juice yeah um So, yeah, that's that's amazing. That's that's quite a few of the the myths that I wanted to kind of uh, discuss. You did mention that the fat is not bad, which was the other one that I wanted to kind of touch on. Good. Um, good. I
0: I mean, if you want a very quick, I mean, fats, um, there's different types of fats. So the saturated fats come mainly from animal products like your butter, your cheese, your bacon. You need to keep that low. But the fats you want to get a bit more of are called polyunsaturated fatty acids. And they come from olive oil and things like that. Salmon. Um, or monounsaturated, which are avocado nuts and seeds. So basically, mm-hmm. unsaturated equals good. Saturated equals not so good, but in small amounts.
1: Yeah, awesome. Um, well, I appreciate that. That's that's definitely helped me out um, and cleared <laughs> a lot of my understanding around these myths and hopefully a lot of the people who are listening as well. Um, so to kind of round us off, I have uh, one last question for you, which is, what does happiness mean to you?
0: I love that question. Um, happiness means contentment to me. Um, I, to be honest, since having my son, it's taken on a whole new meaning for me because it's a, happiness is a feeling that's very difficult to describe. It's a feeling of warmth, um, contentment, and overwhelming love. But I guess it looks different to For me, that's what happiness is to me. It's very difficult to explain. No, I love that.
1: (laughs) I love that. I think that that contentment, like you said, is, Mm. you know, we we think, I guess we think of happiness as this big, like happiness, we put it on this big pedestal, but it's actually if you're able to be content and appreciative and grateful for what you have in your life, that is happiness and i think we can all do that you know yeah regardless which is which is beautiful and um, so before we sign out uh rihanna and then uh, thank you again for your time because it's been such an interesting conversation and um, do you want to shout out where people can find out more about you where they can listen to the food for thought podcast where they can find your books and if they want to go on a journey of, of just sort of understanding more of this stuff where they can kind of do that through your content
0: yeah of course well firstly thank you for having me i'm a bit of a, a nutrition geek as you can tell and i I, I, love I'm so, <laughs> I love being able to um just spread stuff i wish i was told um back in the day but um you can find more about me on the Retrition um social media pages that's r-h-i-t-r-i-t-i-o-n which is merging my name rianne and nutrition to once that's instagram facebook twitter well, all of it really youtube Um, And then the books Renourish would be a basic backed basics understanding of nutrition. And we do cover body image and all that sort of thing we discussed in there. If anybody is leaning towards wanting to learn more about plant based eating, I have some ebooks on the nutrition website there or fitness fueling fitness. And if anyone's a keen sports nutrition advocate i've worked with six-time world champion ronnie sullivan we have a book together called top of your game so he suffered with his mental health and we've worked on how food can help with mental health there so that's called top of your game and there's also the podcast food for thought and that's where i get to interview these scientists that we're talking about which is fascinating on all the areas that they are researching we cover everything from everything nutrition related basically Mm -hmm. and that's it really that's me in a nutshell
1: amazing I, and i would definitely highly recommend the podcast to anyone listening because i've I've, I've checked out quite a few episodes and the the, the depth that you managed to go into in in each episode is is astonishing it's like and for me like this could easily have been a three-hour conversation because i could yeah. you know, have <laughs> gone on about this all day um but like i, said, I, I do appreciate it and i hope that you know those who have been listening have managed to take quite a lot from it so uh, oh. thank you for that
0: no well thank you for everything you're doing in this space thank you for having me
1: so there we have it I really really hope that you liked that episode um, I took so much from that conversation to be honest I think for me nutrition and food and health are super important and um, so this was a very fascinating conversation and I most definitely could have had a three four hour conversation with you about all things food and health and nutrition so it's um, really fascinating to, to, to hear all of that and to get such a great information out there and if you really like what you heard on this episode please be sure to leave a review and even better still make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you get the latest episodes straight to your phone and if you know someone who you think would really benefit from hearing this episode then be sure to send them the link or a screenshot because it's really important that we continue to spread the positive vibes and messages of episodes like this one you know i started this podcast because i wanted to help inspire a positive change and you can also be a part of that by sharing this episode today So as ever, you can connect with me on Instagram at IamAlexMansy. Come and say hello and let me know what you learned from this episode. Let me know what you thought and what your biggest learnings are from from Rhiannon's wonderful knowledge. Um, So until then, I thank you for listening and I will see you for the next episode.
0: This podcast is produced by Unedited.